one of us. Your word is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. And so each day, as you are resident in our hearts, as you fill us with your love and your light, then guide us to then share that with the world around us. Guide us to see your love in this story of Paul and our, and our own experience as well. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week I shared with you how my grandfather had passed away and how my home church in Oregon actually was very encouraging to my family. But what I didn't say was thank you to you guys because on the front of my door, on the back of my front door, as I leave my house every day, there, I took down all the Christmas cards and now I have all these cards from you guys encouraging me in the last few weeks. Thank you so much for doing that. Because what happens is, every time I leave my home, I have that reminder that somebody is praying for me. That somebody, not just way up in Oregon or somewhere else far away, but someone close by is praying for me. Can you imagine being, for instance, Paul, and there he is, and he's close by, not the followers at Philippi, but close by others, like you guys are close by to me, and they begin to shed light on his situation. That's why we are here. You know, this Sabbath is it's like, a, it's like a waterfall experience. You know, you go for one of those long hikes and you finally get to the end of that and there's this waterfall there and you sit there and you linger for a while, but then you know you have to leave at some point, right? You wish you could just sit there for days and days and weeks and camp out there. Some of us do go backpacking and camp out near some of those. But that feeling of refreshing, that feeling of, wow, God, that feeling of praising Him, that's what Sabbath is to be like. If you're not experiencing it, maybe there's something difficult that's going on in your life that's clouding that. Or maybe you don't see it as a day with Jesus like it should be. But each Sabbath, my goal is to encourage you, just like you have encouraged me day after day, to try to encourage you as well. And may this be a waterfall experience for each one of us. May we not only just feel refreshed, but then take that refreshment to those around us. Paul used a different analogy, though, rather than water. He used light. And in this text today, we're going to look at how there he is in jail, but quite a ways away are the believers at Philippi, and they have sent encouragement to him. And in that encouragement, he stands boldly for Jesus Christ. He stands boldly to the guard that's at his side. He stands boldly to the palace around him. He stands boldly to officials in high places, to Jews as well. He proclaims Jesus, even though he feels physically bound, even though the circumstances are prohibitive. He still shares Jesus, and we found the gospel is unbound, and we find in this text, the light begins to go to others. So we go to Philippians chapter 2. If you want to turn there in your Bible, you can. I'm going to do a summary text up on the screen. I did a summary of this just to put it up here on the screen for you, but Philippians chapter 2 is where we're at, and as you look there, you're going to find in this group of texts much encouragement. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. We find that this text in Philippians chapter 2 that we're going to get to about light bearers is preceded by texts that talk about oneness about love, about one accord, homothumadon, one mind. Not necessarily everybody thinking the same, but of one purpose. 
And what is their purpose? You keep reading. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. How can they do that? Well, we're going to find the answer later on. It's all about looking at Jesus and how he esteems others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So how can we do that? Keep reading. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Reading my personal devotions this morning, and as I was reading through it, Jesus talked about how he was able to do the works of the Father because the Father was in him. And the same thing has to happen for us. We need Jesus in us. Not just Jesus, but the love of the Father in us and the Holy Spirit guiding us and reminding us constantly the Godhead bodily in us, just like Jesus exhibited in his life. So let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but making himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So he sets aside his where we find his royalty, if you will, becomes a servant. He's found in the appearances of man, and that's not some weird Gnostic saying. That's, he was human. Okay. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. You wonder why there's power in the name of Jesus? You wonder why there's this beautiful peace that just flows into your life when you think about Jesus? You wonder why there's this heavenly atmosphere that when you breathe it, it's like the beautiful rainy day after a beautiful rainy day like yesterday. Just that beautiful misty morning and that fresh air coming into your lungs. You wonder why there's a refreshing and a peace? It's because of Jesus. And this text is pointing out that there is a name above every name that we should be thinking of, that we should be like-minded. That every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. This is a way of saying basically all creation. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of who? God the Father. So if we are one, if we are like Jesus, if we have the mind of Jesus, which preclude, basically we, we, we doesn't we have a part to play. It doesn't preclude us having a part. We have a part. We can't just sit there and say, download it into me. Well, he kind of will. We'll, we'll invite him in, but what happens is there's a daily choosing that we have to do as well. We have to ourselves choose and say, Lord, please come in and guide me today. Here are my plans. I lay them at your feet. Guide and direct according to your will. And it's to the glory of God the Father. When we are one, when we are of one mind, when we are of one accord, when we are of one faith, when we are of one purpose, sharing Jesus, then it glorifies the Father. That's what your scripture reading was about, that we would shed light to the world. And who would we glorify? You are the light of the world. Who's going to be glorified through our, when they see our good works? The Father. The Father is going to be glorified. So I keep mentioning, if, if you somehow don't feel close to the concept of God the Father, then find a way to go through the Scriptures and relook and see how He was there all along. Maybe behind the scenes, maybe not in the forefront, but He was caring for humanity from the very beginning all the way down to your time. Look into your own life story and see things could have been a whole lot worse if my Father in Heaven had not done this or that. I wouldn't even be sitting here today or standing here today or speaking here today. The Father has been there all along. Glory be to Him. And that's what Paul's talking about. And what's the result? The result is, the, are the very next verses. They would eventually shine as light. Look at verse 12. 
I'm putting it up on the screen so I can go through a little quicker. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. If you pause there, it's pretty hopeless looking, isn't it? Work it out yourself. Now, some of us come from a background where a work ethic was instilled in us with fence posts and cattle and all, you know, agrarian background and all of that, or maybe even work hard and, and business and w- whatever it may be, you have this idea of working, working hard. And if you pause there, you might feel good about yourself for a moment, but then you also realize there's some things that I was not able to accomplish in life, and therefore there's a little guilt, right? So it's not perfect. You can't just look to yourself, and that's why Paul doesn't stop there, but he is clear. There is a work for us to do. Because look at the next verse. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. To will. What is God's will? What is his desire? Well, if you've got that mind of Jesus in you, eventually what happens is the very things that you do are the things that God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit would do. It would be for his good pleasure. And he's really the one working in you. Galatians 2.20. It's not on the screen, but I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live... So I'm dead, but I'm alive. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth, what? In me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the reason why, as a Seventh-day Adventist church, we received that narrow way, that, that vision of keeping an eye on Jesus and that path that went up to heaven was all Every step of the journey was to keep an eye on Jesus from that beginning of that path all the way to the end of that path. The 1844 message was part of keeping an eye on Jesus. We find the judgment message is part of keeping an eye on Jesus. Everything is in Jesus, and we need to stay focused on him. And so what we find is there is something for us to do. We need to daily humble ourselves, just like Jesus humbled himself and became one of us. We need to daily humble ourselves and say, God, I need you. I don't even know what your will is in this situation. I need to know your will. I want your will to be done here in this earth. And as a result, you would do things without murmurings and disputings or schisms. So there is a work for us to do. And you've heard the old saying, God, I won't do for you what you can do for yourself. Maybe a parent has said that to you or maybe you've heard it quoted. That's true, isn't it? Because, you know, the other day I was dressing, helping one of my children get dressed and it dawned on me that time had flown by so, just the last three years, had flown by so fast in my youngest life that here I am, and he can dress himself. I mean, I'm thinking, well, he knows kind of how to do it, doesn't he? He, made, he needs a reminder every once in a while, but, but he can take that shirt off, and he can put another one on. And there are certain things that I remember teaching the older ones, and now I'm getting to the youngest, and I don't even necessarily have to teach him. He's, he has seen it so many times that he's, he knows how to do it, and here I am watching this. But what if, what if I watched him try to get his shirt off and I noticed his head was, you know how children have the heads that are kind of bigger than the rest of them? And he's pulling that thing and he can't quite get it off, right? And as a parent, what do you want to do? Reach over there and pull it off like, you know, make a big snapping sound or something. The weird poof sound. And make it fling off of his head and move him on to the next thing. But if you sit there and watch your child long enough and you realize they want to do it themselves, they don't want you just to lift up and, and hold them in the air by their shirt. They want to take that shirt off themselves. And you decide to keep dressing them anyway. 
there's some dysfunction in the water, isn't there? At least. That if a child wants to take care of themselves and is able to do something, and now all of a sudden you're doing it for them, you want to keep dressing them, not only that, but you get to the kitchen table and you say, you see them trying to feed themselves and they're getting it on themselves. And you decide, especially in my house, it'd be easier to decide that you're going to keep feeding them than to let them get it on the carpet. I don't know who designed carpet in dining rooms, but ours has carpet in dining room. It's white. It was whitish color when we first got It's not now. We keep shampooing that thing. But imagine you as a parent think it'd be better off if I just fed them instead of them dumping it on the carpet every once in a while. Now, it might be easier and cleaner for a period of time. But what would happen if you kept doing that until they turned 18? You gotta t- I mean, can you imagine micromanaging somebody's life to the point where they can't hardly feel like they can breathe without you telling them what to do? What happens if they turn 35, my age, and you're still doing that? So, you know, that's, we know that's not healthy. We know there's a work to do for each one of us, spiritually speaking, but I'll show you what will happen if somebody keeps being spoon-fed and keeps wanting to be a baby the rest of their life. Yeah, there's an article, you can read about it. It said, how psychiatry and the government turned a man into a permanent baby. And it, I thought, first I thought, this is making fun of it, right? But it's written by a psycho- psychiatrist himself. So if you look at this article, this is Dr. Keith Blow is a psychiatrist, a member of the Fox News Medical A-Team, and he's looking at a case where he's saying, what happens if somebody perpetually wants to be a child and we enable them? We keep enabling that behavior. You want to see the picture? <laughs> Take a moment, but look at it. This is a 35-year-old in a crib. He's got all the toys and gizmos, and guess what? He has a, he's a web designer. He knows how to design his own website on how to be, continue to be a baby. He's got a whole website on this. He also receives some assistance from the government. And Dr. Keith Blow here is saying, there is something wrong with this picture where somebody can receive government assistance and basically be empowered and, and to continue this type of behavior. Well, he, need, he, wants, he finds pleasure and having people change his diapers and, and feed him by the mouth and all of this stuff. And he says this, it's sad, it's a sad truth is that it's actually cheaper and more convenient to maintain Mr. Thornton in his pathological state than to cure him. This is from a, someone who's professionally working in psychiatry. And he says, and that's the real problem here, isn't it? Working out your own salvation. As, as the article goes on, Dr. Blow went on to describe after that a case where a psychiatrist told a patient when they're being released, and they said, I don't want to be released, I'm going to stay here forever. He said, you're being released. And the guy said, I'm going to commit suicide. If you, if you release me, I'm going to commit suicide, and it's going to be your liability. Okay, where does he get all these words at, right? So, so he, it's going to be your fault. And Dr. Nadelson, who Dr. Blow is citing as a case study, said, that may be, he tells the patient, and that would injure me deeply. I would truly be sad, and you could tell he mean it, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. He paused, and you could tell in his eyes that he did mean it. But ultimately, Frank, he said, it has to be your decision. You're a man like I am. He put a hand on Frank's shoulder. You can find the strength to live like one. I know you can. Notice that. I know you can. And so Dr. Ablo asked the question to his friend, Dr. Nadelson. said, well, what if he goes out and kills himself? Nadelson glanced at me, said, 
What makes you think he isn't killing himself sitting in that room and avoiding his whole life? So the guy was released with escorts, security, getting him out. And the story really doesn't have a sad ending. There's really no ending that's being described. He basically goes back to, to being treated and continues to have some normalcy. But as I look at stories like this, and I think of Paul's writings where Paul mentions this idea of working out our own salvation. We're not just passive people laying in a crib and asking people to keep changing us and, and feeding us the rest of our lives, are we? There comes a point where, the, where spiritual leaders and Jesus himself recognize what we can do for him that before we, he had to do for us. There's a growth. Paul talks about a Christian growth. And so when I read the words of Paul, it's not a worksy salvation by works thing. It's more of a spiritual growth. If I'm maturing in Jesus, I should be able to put my shirt on. I should be able to feed myself. You know, I should be able to dress myself in the armor of God each morning. I should be able to prayerfully go out and, and witness to others fully dressed in Jesus. I should be able to feed myself the word of God, and I should be able to serve others. Folks, your church is getting so busy that humanly speaking, I cannot keep up with it all. We are all, when this thing really takes off in the next couple of years, it's starting to now, we're all going to need to be hands on deck to do what God would have us to do in just Anderson in South County. And so we have a work to do. Paul's encouraging them to keep that focus on Jesus, to work out their salvation, meaning stay focused on Jesus. He's your salvation, right? And if God's working in you, then this work will continue to be. And I was reading this morning the words of Jesus like I do every morning. Unless somehow there's something to kick me out of bed for, uh, for something, jump me, maybe jump out early to go take care of the sheep or something. But in John 14, it says, Jesus said, the words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing His work. Did you notice that? It's the same thing that Paul's saying. It's the same thing that I'm saying. Is that, that at a certain point in the Christian walk, we, we don't really innately need to be fed by somebody else, to, to, to have somebody else do that. We need each other socially. We need each other to encourage each other. We need each other, especially as these last days draw on, to fellowship together. But really, who's working in us? The same God, the same Father who was working in Jesus. He even mentions the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will be in you, John 14, verse 17. And John 14, 23, we will come to Him. That's the one who believes in Jesus. That's you and that's me. It says, we will come to them, him, make our home in him. So what Paul is saying is just an echo of the words of Jesus. Accept Jesus, accept me as your Savior, Jesus says, and we will come in, make our home in you. You will then be that light to the world. You will then do, in a way, work out your salvation by choosing that. And all along the way, guess what's going to happen? John 14, verse 26 the Comforter will remind you of everything I have said all along the way. The Holy Spirit, one of the most, we find the humblest person if you, if you look at the Godhead, he's just behind the scenes all the time. So look at creation. I mean, we have language that can mistake him as elements, right? This wind, you know, the Spirit hovering upon the waters. You go all the way down through from creation all the way down. He's always behind the scenes, this Comforter, this Holy Spirit, and yet he is so powerful. That's the mindset of the Godhead, serving, glorifying each other rather than themselves. And then 
and then working in our lives. And this morning, I don't know, maybe you think I'm crazy, but uh, maybe I need to be sitting in one of those cribs. But um, <laughs> I said, all right, Lord, what are you saying to me in this text? And I don't usually share my journal, but here's what he said. Time each day with us is important. This time is a deposit in this life that will have dividends into eternity. It empowers you, Murray, to live each day. That time with us is really the working out of your salvation. It's not, it's not complicated, is it? Spending that time with God, that time with Jesus, having that whole Godhead in us daily. And as I was sitting there this morning, looking out at the misty morning, it's like a heavenly atmosphere comes over you. No, no, it's not some mystical thing. It's, it, it's, it, it's just God's peace saying, I am with you, aren't I? I am in you, aren't I? There's something that bubbles up within you. There's just this, this joy, is, doesn't it? If it isn't, then there's probably something wrong because the Scripture talks about this joy, this overwhelming joy that comes from knowing Jesus. And this joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And so we find each day we need to have Jesus in us. That's why Paul says, it's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of His good pleasure. We don't even know, humanly speaking, what His good pleasure is unless He's in us. We know we're sinners. We know we're fallen. We know that in and of ourselves, our human nature would take us off in different directions. And so, yes, there's a work for us to do. With fear and trembling, this is the idea of... You ever get through an experience where you narrowly escape death or an accident and you get done with it, and what's happening to your body? I mean, you know what's going on. There's, there's adrenaline. There's, there, this is language there, but it's also spiritually speaking. It's talking about how all of a sudden, when, after you get through that experience, you look back and you're like, whoa, look how close I, you know. This is the type of language Paul is using here. It's, it's, we are working on our own salvation, and when we look back, we see, wow, look what you brought me through. And who did it? God did it. And so he had a work for us to do, a choosing for us to make. Then he came in by invitation, and then we began to do what he did. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. So then you begin to make the right choices, and I begin to make the right choices. And one of them is saying, God, guide me today. Guide me today. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with that. I, I, this coworker or this family member, just think about it. Whoever that, that person that maybe you have a hard time getting along with, I didn't know how to deal with that situation. Or I don't know how to deal with this thing that's going on in my life. So we begin to have our, our eyes focused on Jesus, working out our salvation, looking back and seeing and being thankful for how he's led. He begins to say, hey, let me, invite me in. And then we start doing things without murmurings. And you know, as well as I do, that there are a lot of murmurings going on today, aren't there? Now this looks like a happy picture, doesn't it? I mean, it looks relatively happy compared to the most recent pictures between the two. In fact, if you go on the internet, and this is, uh, you can see the website there, this was way before we see the current situation in our climate today in North America. And I'm not going either way on any of these candidates. I'm just saying, isn't it interesting that people can change like that over time, begin to even cut into each other and tear down? And we think, oh, that's all politics. What Paul's saying is there is no room for that in the Christian life. None. And if you find yourself, I'm going to say it like this, if you find yourself, as you watch things going on in the world, feeling like you want to jump in on one side or the other of this equation, or other individuals in the equation, then more than likely you shouldn't be in the equation. Don't even watch the news if that's what it does to you. Because that's what our society is being fed. 
cutthroat, cut down, go dig out some little obscure thing from the past that, that was so small that you never even knew about it until they brought it to light, and undercut the person. So they can go from being that type of picture to the pictures you're seeing now where you have them just literally just red-faced on opposite sides of the equation. We are not to be like that. We are to be doing as God does. Isn't God still doing something now? Didn't Jesus say, even on the Sabbath day, the, the, the Father works? You go start reading some of those equations, some of those texts where you find Jesus mentioning how my Father works. He's even working today for souls. So we do things without murmurings and disputings because God is in us, and here's the result, so that, and in the Greek, this is a demonstrative. This is saying, so you're working out your salvation. Picture that, right? Picture what that looks like on your daily life, daily basis, where you're spending time with Jesus, where you're, you're having that focus on him, and then picture this as you go out from there, so that. So it's like two pictures in the Greek language. He's describing one, what it's like with, between you and God, and now all of a sudden, whoosh, and you're seeing another picture. It's like a finger pointing. Look at, look at this. So Paul is saying the way that we do things without murmurings and all of that, the result is, and the camera zooms in on you, you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Among these, you shine as lights in the world. So as a result of our time with Christ and our oneness together, then we all begin to shine for Jesus together. It's pretty easy to put out one or two lights, isn't it? Let's say you've got a bunch of people, and I remember in ancient times they would have signals to let the next village over or um, the next city over know that an enemy was coming. And they used to use fire to do this. You can look this up on the internet, you can do some research. And can you imagine an enemy's coming through the land and you have an alliance with these other cities out there, and they begin to light these lights up on the hill, and you begin to watch as those lights are many out there, and eventually one after another goes out, you know what's happening, right? The enemy is getting closer. But it, if there was only one or two lights out there versus a hundred of them, your reassurance would be less, wouldn't it? Because then if you had four lights out there, one's going out, then another. You know there's only two of you left, there's your brother over in Ephraim, and there's you right there in Jerusalem. You know Nebuchadnezzar's coming for you. Imagine, though, hundreds of thousands, millions of lights shining throughout the world. Even if Satan puts one out, for some reason, though, when he put it out, he, he was clumsy. Satan was clumsy. He knocked it over, and it touched another candle somewhere, and it lit that one. That's what we have in the gospel, really. Is he thinks he's taking Jesus out, and he thinks eventually he's killing Stephen and killing Peter and killing these people off. And what does it do? It touches another one. The whole thing begins to spread like wildfire, and he is angry because of that. That's what Revelation's talking about. So we go as lights, plural, to the world, not just a light. And what do we do? We hold forth the word of life so that I may rejoice, Paul says, with you in the day of Christ. This light makes Paul truly happy. He says, I will find out I have not run in vain. I'll look back and, yeah, I'll be feeling tired and beaten when I go into the grave, but I come out and I see all these people that Jesus has reached through me and through others and this beautiful effect. Paul reached you for you to be sitting here today. And who reached Paul? Stephen. And who reached, we start going back, it goes back to the source itself, doesn't it? The word of life, it's hinted at in the previous chapter, 
when it says Jesus became one of us, the Word became flesh, according to John, and in Paul's writings, it mentions him becoming human. And we know that the Word of life has to do with a message that prepares for the day of Christ. So what message prepares for the day of Christ? It's the gospel. It's the good news that God loves you and me. As gritty as we are, he loves us. And so, what is Paul saying? You'll be changed by that time with Christ. You'll be then sharing Jesus, the true word of life, and that will prepare the way for the day of Christ. So, light prayers point to the true light. And young people, here's your answer on your sheet. We're looking at two scriptures, Revelation chapter 1 and John chapter 1. I'll give them a moment to write it down while we look it up. Revelation chapter 1. You can read the whole chapter if you'd like to. But as I'm looking at this chapter, I'm looking over here, and John hears what sounds like a trumpet in chapter 1, verse 10 of Revelation. It says, I was in the Spirit on the Sabbath day, or the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. What you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then, so he hears that, and he turns, hears those beautiful words, he turns to see the voice, and he turned, and I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Who are these lampstands illuminating? And Jesus doesn't really need it, but, but they're illuminating, pointing to Jesus. Imagine you're a priest, and you're walking through the holy place, and you, on one side you have these lampstands, and the whole place is filled with gold. Well, those lampstands are really lighting the whole room, aren't they? But you're walking by as a priest. It's illuminating you at that point. Well, here we find it's pointing them to Jesus. One like the Son of Man, it's Jesus, clothed with a garment down to the feet, girded about the chest with a golden band. He's basically dressed like a priest. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. His eyes like a flame of fire. He doesn't need those lampstands. And in his own eyes themselves are flames that could basically unite the whole world and destroy it. Especially sin with it. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace. His voice, the sound of many waters. He laid his right hand and had in his right hand seven stars, so he even holds stars out of his mouth, his sharp two-edged sword. His countenance was like the sun, verse 16, shining in its strength. And we know in Revelation, when it gets to shining in its strength, it's a lot hotter than it is now. I think you've probably been reading the articles about how the sun really is not some yellow or orange star. It's really, what, a white star? So what we find is Jesus shines brighter, no obscurity, than even these lampstands. And first, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Nothing was made that wasn't made by Him. In Him was the life, and the life was the light of mankind. So Jesus is the true light. If you had to somehow splice Paul's words, you, you would say, well, it's a message leading up to the day of Jesus. That's the gospel, right? But now you start looking into light, and you find Jesus is the source. Jesus is the one who is there at the beginning of creation, hearing that saying, let there be light. And Jesus is the one who still echoes it to us today. Shine for me. Shine on for me. And so who's the author of light? It's 
Jesus Christ himself. He's the one who sends the Holy Spirit to fill those lampstands like oil. He's the one who holds those stars in his hands. Through his inspired apostle, Christ has presented to us the measure of the character that is imbued with the love of Christ. So he has presented to us this beautiful character. Imagine it's on display in us. It's the love of Christ. We are to bear the marks of Christ. We are to have his likeness. This example has given us that we may know the possibilities, the heights we may reach in and through Christ. The standard he presents is perfection in him, and through his merits we may attain it. So underline that. Perfection. You're like, well, I can't make... It's through his merits that we may obtain it. We come short because we are content to look at earthly things rather than at heavenly. We look at earthly things rather than at heavenly. It's by beholding Christ that we're changed from glory to glory. The eye that views common things needs to be elevated, and I would say plucked out at times. So what we find is Jesus is the one who's the light. He's the one who changes us from glory to glory. He's the one who enables us to have that perfection. He's the one that elevates our eyes to heaven. So the candlesticks then would need him to really shine. John was clear of this in John chapter 5, verse 34, our memory verse from a few a couple months ago. It says, John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and he chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, Jesus said. For the very work which the Father has given me to finish, which I am doing, testifies that the Father has sent me. Jesus was the source of John's burning. John was just a lamp. He needed the filling. He needed a message from heaven itself to really shine. And so he was a burn. He burned and gave light only because he had a message of Jesus. We need the same source. And we need to illuminate and point others to Jesus Christ. We need that Holy Spirit inside of us so we can do it. So let's shine as opportunities present themselves. There are so many opportunities presenting themselves right now in your bulletin. You can read about them. But as I look at them, one of the ones that seems to have already an interest of people in your community is this one here. I mean, I've, I've already gotten emails and, and pre-registrations of many people in your community already. I don't know if they're all going to make it here opening night, and it's Thursday night at 7. But we need not just to be praying for people around us at this point. We need to say, you know what? We're living in a time when the devil is trying to put out lights all around us. We need to shine as lights and help touch another life as well. We need to be those light bearers that Paul talked about. And maybe you're saying, well, I, I've invited people. We'll wait and see. Well, in the meantime, start sharing those glow tracks. There's plenty of them out there. And, I've, and there's a whole lot coming in the mail. I bought a whole bunch more, thousands of pieces of literature. They're going to be out there until you give them away, and until I give them away as well. In fact, this return to rest one is about the Sabbath. Imagine people who are tired needing that one now. And then we have dinner with the doctor on the third Sundays of each month. People are coming and getting their needs met there. The health expo is coming up May 22. You're, you're talking about resources for people to be healthy so they can then think about Christ. So there are many things that we have coming up and many ways to share the light of Jesus. And Paul says that we keep holding forth the light, the word of life, so that he may rejoice with, with you in the day of Christ, and that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Now this week, as I was out and about, I had to go uptown for a Reading Adventist Academy meeting, and the thought came to me, you know, Murray, you got that check sitting there in your office from the church. There's something I bought for the meetings, and they're going to reimburse me for it. And as I had that check over there, I thought, I really need to deposit that. It's been about a month, you know. But I don't get up to Umqua Bank very often. If you know where downtown is compared to here, it's like, 
you know, I really should, should switch banks, but the thought came to me, go on up there, Murray, and take the Sabbath track with you. Now, I don't normally share the Sabbath track first. I share salvation or one of these ones that talks about disasters and knowing Jesus and the Bible and all of that. So that when that came to my mind, I thought, all right, that's not for me. So I'm going to go ahead and listen to that. And I know the devil hates the Sabbath, so he wouldn't put that in my mind anyway. So it's pretty, pretty clear in that still small voice that you become aware of and you know, you know the voice of God. And it was the voice of God saying, all right, go up to the bank with that one check you have to deposit. You normally wait for five or ten, but you only have one. And as I was driving up there, it flashed in my mind who is going to be at the teller window. Now, I didn't know for sure who would be there at the teller window, but there had been several people that had been there over the, over the last few years, four years since I banked there. And this one person's picture in my mind just came flashing up, that she would be right there, and it, and it reassured me that she would be smiling when you give her the literature. So I pull up into the teller area, shut the, shut the engine off after I roll the windows down. I hand her that, and she's like, You'd like to have um, the, I'm surprised that she remembered. I've only been there once every, every once in a while. You'd like to have the balance after deposit. I said, yeah, that'd be real thoughtful. Thank you. And she goes away, and Lord's like, get it out, Murray. Get out that piece of literature. <laughs> it was right up here in my, near my front of my dash there. And so she comes back, and I, in my human nature, had this beautiful speech prepared. <laughs> and, and the Lord's like, just, just tell her it's a beautiful pamphlet about God's rest. And so that's what I said. I had this whole speech about, I'm looking to have a vacation soon, and uh, you really, really need rest, don't we? And I had this whole thing <laughs> as a preacher planned. And I just handed it to her, and I said, and I, like I said, it, it was just, I said, here's something about God's rest, a beautiful rest, and just wanted to give it to you. And she lit up, like, like I had seen in that beautiful little picture in my mind on the way up there. And thank you. And she was thanking me profusely. And here I am, thinking to myself as I'm driving off, kind of foolish, Murray, because you would have passed that up because you were so scared to hand out a piece of literature. And yet here's this woman having joy because you gave her a piece of literature about God. Can you imagine that little book there, she reads it, and you never know what these things, you know? She passes it to somebody else and somebody else, and the next thing you know, or she, even if she's, oh yeah, our policy is to say, yeah, yeah, thank you very much, and then she's in the trash, right? But somehow along the way, it gets to somebody else who's, who's sorting through the trash for recyclables or something. And there it is. And it reaches that person. And that person reaches another person. Can you imagine? It doesn't matter how that literature goes out. It has touched somebody for eternity one way or the other. I used to think that that was a certain witnessing style. But, and I'm an introvert. You can't tell probably. But I'm an introvert. And, and when I get off this pulpit, I'm really quiet. Um, because I'm tired, but <laughs> when I go up to give this literature, everything within me says, it's not in your nature to do this, Murray. Don't do it. And God's like, no, Murray. That's how your grandpa won your heart, didn't he? He gave you a little piece of literature. And he used to say something simple. Here's a little something to read. That's all he would say. And I would throw it away, and eventually it came back in my trash. And so the light on that day, can you imagine... You light one person's heart, and they light others. And next thing you know, you're like, Paul, you're looking there at the day of Christ, and you're rejoicing. You're like, wow, look at this. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to hit the ground because it's just so overwhelming to think that God could use me to reach even one person for him. I'm going to feel almost sorrowful that if, if somebody even points to me rather than Jesus, like, oh, it's Jesus. Look what you did. And you think 
that much of me as your child to let me do that, to hand out that little piece of literature for you? Imagine the light on that day when we truly see the light bearer himself, when we are gathered around in all creation as it should be, and that artist didn't do a very good job on that line, but, but as you look at these pictures, this beautiful city shining as light, and Jesus himself is the light there. There's no need for light there. That's going to be a beautiful, glorious day. And in the meantime, we need to be spending that time with the Lord and then sharing with others. And that's what our closing song is about, really. Lord, give me the Bible so then I can share it with others around me. Spend spend that time with Jesus ourselves, and then we have something to share with the world around us. So wherever you may fall in that equation, ask the Lord, you know what, Lord, guide me as to what I should do to share that light with others. It may not be the literature route. I don't know why it couldn't be. Anybody can do that. It may be the acts of kindness or talking to somebody or doing something for somebody. Shine the light for Jesus as he has shined it in your heart. Please stand as we sing our closing song, Give Me the Bible. Give me the Bible, star of gladness gleaming, to cheer the wanderer, lone and tempest-tossed. No storm can hide that peaceful radiance beaming Since Jesus came to seek and save the lost Give me the Bible, holy message shining Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way Precept and promise, law and love combining Till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible when my heart is broken, when sin and grief have filled my soul with fear. Give me the precious words by Jesus spoken. Hold a face lamp to show my Savior near. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day. Give me the Bible, all my steps enlighten. Teach me the danger of these realms below. That lamp of safety o'er the gloom shall brighten. That light alone the path of peace can show. Give me the Bible, holy message shining. Thy light shall guide me in the narrow way. Precept and promise, law and love combining. Till night shall vanish in eternal day. Father in heaven, help us to shine maybe as mortal as we seem at times, but help us to shine 
for Jesus. Pointing people to that immortality and that beautiful day where the light will shine. There will be no more night. There will be this glorious world shining with the light of Jesus all in its perfection. Help us to share what we have learned from the Bible with those around us. There are many saying, give me the Bible. I need something to help me in this world. Guide us to be some of the ones beside your angels, nature, and your voice to guide them to your throne, we pray in Jesus' name.